the Freewheeling Podcast. I am Abby Mickey. We are back for another week to talk about women's cycling. I am joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello. Good morning, everyone. Amy Lauren Jones. Hello. Is Lauren your middle name? It is my middle name, yeah. Okay. Why does everyone say your full name, though? It comes from, I just put my middle name everywhere because when I was in school, there was another Amy Jones. So I had to differentiate. And then her middle name was Lauren, actually. Sorry, not Lauren, Laura. So it was Amy, Laura, and Amy, Lauren. Oh my God. (laughs) So yeah, someone actually called me Lauren the other day and I was like, no, wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I can see how. And Gracie Elvin, Gracie, hi. Hey, 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 good to be here. So we're back to talk about the latest round of the Women's World Tour that happened over the weekend, Ronda Van Drenta, the one day that happened the day before Drenta Oct, and then some other stuff. And then the third Women's World Tour race of the year, which is coming up over the weekend, Trofeo Alfredo Binda, a favorite for at least two of the people on this podcast. Love this race. Three (laughs) of the people on this podcast. It's a great race. I feel, yeah. (laughs) Also, it's a standalone women's race. Fucking love that. It's true. We just don't really get enough of them. And enough of them that are like like properly well done. I guess I wouldn't like say that Binda's the the best run race ever, but they had live coverage long before a lot of the other races, even though it was like a guy on the back of a motorbike and <laughs> <laughs> subpar. And they, the the neutral car was often a Ferrari, so yeah. points for that. we can get into we will we will at the as we progress from this episode get into um, a discussion about the distribution of funds within races and race organizations let's talk about dredta i think we should dive right into the my biggest takeaway from the race which was uh lorena webus is very good at sprinting she's a fast girl it's her second win in four days she also won the um, midweek, one of the midweek one day lower ranked races on Tuesday, but it was, or Wednesday. I don't know days of the week. People, uh, I thought this race was on Sunday all week long. And then someone was like, no, it's Saturday. And I was like, I knew it was on the, not the point, <laughs> not the point. Lorena Weavis, <laughs> her sprint at the end of the race was really incredible. And the lead out from Trek, I thought was pretty okay pretty good um i don't know a ton about lead out so i'm curious what gracie has to say but i feel like lorena we has timed it really well her team did really great overall throughout the race and it was a it was a good win for her team dsm the last couple years have not had that many world tour wins and for them to take this second world tour race of the year already this season and to have kind of put in the performance that they did around Weebus. No, I think the most valuable player went to her teammate, um, Five for Georgie. She was really good. And she finished off what Ellen Van Dyke had started for Trek of pulling back that breakaway. And then that solo rider, uh, it was Florja Mackay, I'm pretty sure. Um Right at the end, it was like, like it was coming down to the wire and Pfeiffer just pulled this massive turn and brought everything back and effectively was a great lead out as well. And in some ways gave Trek a good lead out too because they'd run out of riders. They had Chloe Hosking there leading out Elisa's Balsamo. So 
uh, Lorena Webbs just, you know, she was quick. She must have felt good that day. She timed the sprint really well. She was the first one to jump, but it was all thanks to her teammate that set it up for her. Yeah, and Pfeiffer was pretty impressive throughout the entire day because she she also jumped in a couple moves. There was some – the race was pretty aggressive. Um, we didn't see the three laps of the Vanberg, just kind of the final – final of those three laps and then the run into the finish and then back to the Vanberg and then back to the finish was always on the live coverage, which was still like 50 kilometers of racing, which is awesome. But the, those three laps of the Vanberg that they do is usually where a lot of the action happens. And when there was action on the final Vanberg lap, there was splits that happened afterwards and, uh, and, and Pfeiffer was up there. So it was, she, she had a good race. It was a it was a really good race for the British national champion. Race can often be defined by <clears throat> the crosswinds. And when I tuned in, I guess that's when it was starting to to split against um split up a bit. And I saw that yeah, she was there in the front with with Chloe Hosking and Ellen Van Dyke. Chloe Hosking had a fantastic race, I thought. Um she was an incredible teammate for Elisa Balsamo. She didn't have to do a thing. Um which is exactly what you want if you want to come to the finish with fresh legs. Um, but I don't know. I think the, the wind didn't make enough of a difference. Like sometimes the wind can be the, the like defining point, as Gracie can speak from experience. I think when, when Gracie got a podium there, it's, it was one of those typical years where it, it's not actually the Van Berg, it's, it's the wind that sort of destroys the race. But um, it was still an exciting race to watch and, um, there were some standout performances. Uh, the commentator here was making the mistake of Georgia Fifey, and I was like, no, no, it's Fifey Georgie. But, yeah, I really enjoyed the, the race, and I thought, <clears throat> yeah, Trek did a good job but ran out of teammates at the end, basically. Lorena Webers, I think, is just the sprinter to beat. I think she's, like, basically, who else is there that's, like, really a pure sprinter? Because I would say she pretty much is. I'm excited to see her go up against Norsgaard, though. But Norsgaard is definitely not. Mm-mm. But the she's same. still fast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Astunelli was in that group, too. Yeah, normally I would, you, when you think of sprinter sprinters, and again, I think we've had this conversation with the women, is um, they're not like a typical sprinter when you think of a Caleb Ewan or a Mark Cavendish, because Bastinelli has, she's won Flanders, right? I mean, do you see you, you don't see a rider like Mark Cavendish winning Flanders, for example. Um, Chloe Hosking as well. She when, you know, she's in good form and she believes in herself, she actually climbs quite well too. I mean, she's not climbing like a Cassie Newadoma, but she gets over the hills. So I don't know, with the women it's uh, like we have sprinters, but then they like, look at Lotta Kopecky. I think in 2016 I would have said Lotta Kopecky is a sprinter and now she she's winning Strada Bianchi and running top tens in the Giro Donna. So it, it's really hard to define what a sprinter is for me in a women's race. But if I had to say, it's like your Chloe Hoskins, your Marta Bastinelli's, um, Lorena Weber's. And for me, she's she's like the, yeah, the Caleb Ewan for the moment or something like that. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Like, she's the closest thing to, like, a pure sprinter that the women's peloton has. 
And it, I'd be interested to see kind of how the way that women's cycling is going. Sorry, I might have opened like a kind of worms here, but like shapes that because like you said in the past, though, like people like Los Capecchi, you, they, everybody kind of has to become an all-rounder by necessity. But maybe the more depth we see, the more we're going to see people specialize like that. I don't know. And the more race days we have, the more opportunities for those sprinter types. Because I think in the past, a lot of people have uh, made themselves all-arounders because there's not a ton of opportunities for the pure for any kind of like leaning towards pure sprinter on the women's side. It's like three races a year. Yep. And you could argue the same for for pure climbers, like Yamara Abbots. There's not really a place for a pure, pure climber in the current um, women's peloton. Yeah, there's a reason that Mara just pretty much focused on the Giro every year of her career. From experience, like it was – five or 10 riders that were winning everything five or 10 <laughs> between five and 10 years ago. And Mariana Voss was winning most of those things. And yeah, I, I think that there's already specialized riders much more now, but I think you still have to be somewhat of an all rounder. Um, but I think the way that women's races are raced lends itself to all rounders just the nature of a lot of the courses and stuff. So a bit like what you're already saying, there's not that many pure sprint courses or pure climber courses. So the calendar does dictate how riders have had to evolve. But I think we will start seeing proper specialised riders going forward in women's cycling. But it's just there's so many other variables there. Like we've talked about the women's world tour calendar shouldn't be as long, but we still need more races. So you kind of like, well, <laughs> what needs to happen first? Um, there's, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to get right. So I think that you'll just can continue to see that evolution of riders and, and what they're good at. But I don't know. We're seeing that in men's cycling too. There's some riders that are just good at a lot of stuff. <laughs> so oh I don't gosh. know. Yeah. Van Aert is pretty impressive. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's it's kind of a good thing, right? That we're going to have potentially more specialization in the future because it means that we won't see the same riders winning every race. Like we won't, we won't be constantly every single time I write a preview, I am like, okay, five riders to watch. And it's three of the same riders every time. And it won't be like that if we keep going down the road of specialization, which I would argue, well, I mean, not argue, but I would say that's a great thing. I, I want to see more people winning bike races, more names. Speaking of sprinters, um, I was really excited to see what Charlotte Cool would do this year um, because she she had some really good performances last year against some of the top sprinters. But um, has she been racing yet? I think she has. I think she has, yeah. Impressive that um, eSports World Champ was in that front group. I was really surprised how big that front group was when the live coverage turned on because that would have been two laps into the Vanberg and usually at that point it's between the crosswinds the cobbles and the Vanberg it's pretty whittled down at that point but the the group going into the third Vanberg lap was was massive yeah I was about to say the same I think that was one of the bigger groups that we've seen come into the finish or at least that last 
30, 40K. It's such a brutal race. And it's like barely any climbing in it and it still splits to pieces and it just tells you how rough that course is. It's pretty much a sprint to every corner, not just the cobble sectors, but if you watch the coverage, you could see how narrow those roads are and every opportunity to move up, you have to take it. So in some ways it's, I think I've said this before, like some of these sprints at the end of these races aren't actually you know, an all-out sprint anymore because you've had such a hard day. It's less predictable. Um, but Webb's had a, a flat tire as well as a lot of Kopecky. They both had flat tires in the last mm. 15 to 20K and they had to make it back through the cars and they both stayed really calm even though they didn't have a lot of time to get back. And I'm sure that would have taken a bit out of the legs as well and, yeah, who knows if it took more out of one than the other, and maybe uh, Lorena was just on a Lorena because she had so far to go. The calm car was so far away from the back. Yeah, yeah it and looked she like she have... had it harder. Yeah, she didn't have Anna Vanderbregen pushing her. Yeah, Kopecky had like <laughs> no wonder Kopecky was so yeah. chill with Anna Vanderbregen pushing her. Like that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was a great moment. That was such a great moment. But I just realized I made a mistake earlier too. It was Anuska Costa that was yeah, the final escapee. I was like, as soon as I said uh, Flortia, I was like, why would they chase their own teammate? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I she was, was pretty, in that group though, right? Before, huh? yeah. In the Yeah, in that yeah. final break of, of four, I was pretty impressed um, with Yumbo Visma actually because they came to this race with probably their top rider being um, Rihanna Marcus, who had an incredible performance at the um, Sex Toys race. But (laughs) they they did well with not having either Corinne, Lebecki, or Voss at the race, which I would think would be two of their top riders for this this type of race. Definitely Corinne, based on how how the race came down, too. I was really impressed with Yumbo. Yeah, they threw the kitchen sink. So what do you guys think about the the only like part of the race that I got frustrated watching backseat directing was the fourth lap of the Vanberg, the final Vanberg lap when it kind of split a little bit. There was a lot of pressure put on the front of the race by Elise Shabby. And there was a split of 10, 10 riders that kind of separated themselves on the Vanberg. And it included Ellen Van Dyke, Chloe Hosking, and uh, Balsamo, so three Trek riders, one of them being their sprinter. Bastianelli, another one of the best sprinters. And uh, Lotto Capecchi and Elena Cicchini. So Capecchi had a teammate. Balsamo had two teammates. And Webus was dropped. And there was like this weird moment where Ellen kind of attacked that group, but she didn't get on the front and just drive the pace, which she's clearly more than capable of. And they all, when they caught Ellen, they all just kind of bunched up on the road. And I was backseat directing at the TV, like, why aren't you working? Your top competitor is dropped. <laughs> and they had Flirty Mackay in that group. So that was one rider less for Weebus to be to put on the front to chase them down. It was pretty much Five for Georgie pretty much chased down that group by herself. But had they organized, obviously it would have been a much different finish. Did either of you did any of you notice that? Or cause is was it just me? Yeah, there was a few moments in the race that I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I would do that. Um more just from the chase group, like what there were certain riders 
putting in huge efforts to weld back smallish breakaway groups, but dangerous ones, including one of the, that one, but with, I don't know, I just didn't see the return on investment for them, like when they were dragging back other good sprinters that were going to beat their sprinter, probably. <laughs> They're not like putting it together at the moment. It's it's the same as we've seen in the past where they've got such good riders, but they can't like connect the pieces. There's no leader. There's no, yeah. I think that the, what they're lacking, at least from the backseat director seat I'm taking, is definitely just that captain. Um, they're just, you know, not right. Even just looking at um, going back to Jumbo, what I was impressed with, they really rode well as a unit. And, like, if every time the sort of uh, helicopters uh, panned out, you could see, you know, the yellow jerseys all together, riding together. And in that race, it's even more important, I think, sometimes if you have these moments where the bunches come back together to recollect as a team, check in with each other. You see Trek do it fantastically. I mean, Chloe and Ellen were around each other the last 50Ks that I could see um, with, you know, giving Balsamo sort of the freedom to do what she wants. Um, but, yeah, with Kenyon, I don't know. There didn't look like there was much communication at points. I felt like Roy didn't know what she was meant to do. Um, she was looking back a lot um, for who, I don't know, because if I'd looked at that composition, I would have thought maybe she should have had a crack at the end. But, um, you know, she was in that last move that went that was quite dangerous and I was hoping something like that would stick. But then, of course, it, it didn't. Um, and she, she used up a lot of energy pulling back the two attacks from Anuska Costa. And there was no return on that investment like um, Gracie was saying. But, yeah, I don't know with Canyon. I think they just, they're just they lacking a tiff for the moment. Um, I'm guessing she wasn't there because she would have been in the front group. They had um, they had Elise Shabe um, who did Elise Shabe things for a while. But the I think also they were unfortunate because uh, Lisa Klein, who maybe could have helped Alice Barnes a bit more at the finish, had a mechanical early on. Um, but all things considered, I mean, sick for Alice Barnes in the face of all that is pretty impressive. And we just wonder, like, if she'd had better support going into the, fi the final, what she could have done. Because actually, going back to the earlier conversation, she's probably somebody who could challenge Weavers given on the right day. She has done in the past. She's, yeah. She's probably one of the only riders who's who I would have picked to challenge Weebus, honestly. But it ha it has to be really good circumstances is the thing. Yeah, it's like every, Lorena can win every day. There's a sprint, and mm. Alice can win every third day. But yeah, there wasn't a whole like load of cohesion in that team. Also, what 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 do you think of um, bike exchange in this one? They were they were doing a lot of chasing f for who I'm not quite sure. K Kessler was up there, right? It was Nina Kessler that was right at the front most of the time. She was isolated for quite a period there, and then I think her teammates came back. Georgia Baker managed to get back, and at one point, Neil Campbell and Jess Allen just got back, but then I think they weren't able to do much in that point. So, um, yeah, for, for a long time, Nina was sort of on her own there. It looked like it at least at the front of the bunch. So they didn't have the numbers. And I would say they signed her to be um, the sprinter for the team. 
I'm pretty sure Ariana Fidanza was there too. She's pretty quick. I think she's quite young still though, isn't she? 27. I think, okay, not that young. <laughs> hey, I'm 27. <laughs> <laughs> still, it's still very young, but not for cycling anymore, as it seems. No. Um, I think overall they just don't have that classics group anymore that we used to have back in the day where it was a it was almost more classics focused than anything else. Um, yeah, I, I think they've got a handful of riders coming through that they'll develop well, but they're just not ready this year to be competitive and work as a cohesive group in these really hard, hectic races. So I, I was impressed to see Georgia Baker there actually for that long um, coming uh, from the track. She's got a bit of road under her belt again. She's going to be a huge talent on the road and just to get experience at these races is, you know, a big deal. <laughs> so she was actually impressed me that she was there on a day like that um, and she's really quick too. So once she starts getting that experience and confidence, she'll be one of the contenders for the sprints. She's been around the mark in all the races. I think she's run a couple of fourths or, or top tens already mm. this year. So, yeah, good start to the season for her. I was super impressed with um, Chiara Consoni from mm. Falcor and Sylvia Pasica. That, that team is consistently punching above their weight. I think the only other weird thing that happened in the race was the roundabout situation. Yeah, it took me a while to figure that one out. <laughs> it's really confusing. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, and I don't know if it really impacted the race too much because, yes, the break got a little bit more time because of it, but the third group, also caught back on so that time was that time didn't matter when um audrey cordon rago was on the front just like being a beast and single-handedly pulling the back uh but i think that third group would have come back anyway and the only difference would have been that the break would have been caught sooner but it was still mm-hmm. it was still a weird moment in the race i was just a bit bummed because chloe hosking had just attacked like just before that roundabout and then mm-hmm. I wanted to see what was going to happen and who was going to jump across to that. (laughs) That would have been cool if Chloe jumped across to that group. That would have made a huge difference with Trek up the road. They wouldn't have chased. And I mean, at that point, who missed the break? It would have been FDJ and Canyon, I think, in that particular move. If I'm remembering properly, because they had Chikini was up there. Anyway, Hmm. yeah. So what did actually happen on the roundabout? The, it looked like the, the motorbike went the wrong way. They were supposed to just turn right. The exit with the lorry was not the right exit. No, the first exit. It was the first one. Yeah. Correct. So, okay. yeah. So the motorbike went to the third exit and the riders went to the second exit and some of the riders went to the second exit, but it was, but it was the first exit <laughs> they needed to take. But also there was a, there was like a flag person there and I'm not sure what she was doing because probably getting out of the way of the motorbike that was like barreling through the roundabout in the wrong direction. Uh, um. Anyway, all in all, it was an aggressive race and, um, already this season we've had three big races, two world tour races, all won by different riders on different teams. And, uh, that's something that we love to see. So Drenta Oct was the day before, which is kind of the, the pre pre-race to this race and was won by Christine Myers out of a break. 
with um, Allison Jackson taking second and Florida Mackay third. There, there wasn't live coverage, so there's not a ton to talk about for this one because I don't know what happened. But, uh, <laughs> but as always, it's nice when a like super domestic kind of gets the chance to win a race, and Majerus is like the super domestic. Yeah, well deserved. She is evergreen. It feels <laughs> she's always there for her team in the pointy end of races. So it is cool to see someone like that take the win. And that's often a pretty tough race too. So I think that they had some crosswinds and it split a couple of times. And I think SD Works decided they wanted to split it further and they were aggressive. So I think they really tried to manipulate the situation and and they did a good job of that. And then they managed to get the, the win too. So kudos to the team. Yeah, definitely. The other stuff that happened over the week, I'm, I'm super curious what everyone thinks about this because this is my personal opinion. Uh, but the Giordana, which we have understandably been super critical of in the future, in the future, well, probably also, but in the past as well, <laughs> <laughs> announced the course for this year, the start finish towns and all of that. But they also announced, but their prize purse went from 50 grand to 250 grand it was 50 grand yeah last year they doubled it last year which they didn't actually they said they'd had and then i had to do math <laughs> which i hate and <laughs> so this is the this is where the skepticism kind of comes into play um so two hundred fifty thousand dollar prize purse which is the biggest prize purse they've ever had for sure but also uh the biggest prize purse for a stage race on the women's world tour calendar it matches the tour de france femme um, they also announced that they will do 120 minutes of coverage, as we know from from last year, where they did 90 minutes of coverage. It was like 30 minutes of pre-race sign-on and interviews, and then 15 minutes of bike racing, and then 15 minutes of podium. Don't my blood pressure's rising up. <laughs> so, and no coverage of the Queen stage at all. Uh, so, so this news from the Girodonna, like, well, well, I admire their, um, where they found this money. I'm like, they found a money tree. <laughs> I want Can I also come yeah. on? No, seriously. I don't know where they found this money. It's, it's kind of wild. Uh, cause they have, it's a new race organizer from 2020, like starting in 2021, it's a new race organizer. But it's the same one that promised all that last year. Exactly. And yeah. Um, it's amazing that they've that they've promised this, but at the same time, how do first before we start talking about the distribution of the of that kind of money, what do you guys think about the prize money situation at, at the Giro? Well, you said they've just matched what the Tour de France Femmes is doing, right? So I don't know. Um if they actually have, if they actually do it, then great. But I just think it's interesting because in the same week, the women's tour have come out and openly said that they're looking for title sponsors, not just for the women's tour, but the tour Britain as well, and that they're not sure they've got enough funding to provide live coverage. I think they're being transparent about that. Um. Whereas, I don't know, it's it's so hard not to be completely 
jaded and cynical about the Giro Donna when they promise things and don't deliver them. So, like, if they do, that's amazing. Like, I mean, 50K for the winner, matching the Tour de France fan, but the Tour de France fan has got huge sponsors, huge, like, it's got ASO behind it. Like, that's how they can find that money. Like, I just, where, where would the Giro Donna get this money from? I don't know. Because they haven't stated, right? who the, the big title sponsor is of no, the race. They keep cryptically saying that they're going to, in due course, announce all these things, yeah. all the details of them. So. Yeah. I think they're quite threatened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be as well why they're matching what the, the Tour de France. Yeah. Um, they're trying to get confirmed teams to start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, money's not what's going to necessarily draw the teams there as such. Coverage, um, I guess. But. It's coverage. This is where my debate comes into play. So the I have this problem with the women's tour last year where they didn't have live coverage, but they did brag about the prize money. And when it comes to this amount of prize money, what what good does prize money actually do the Peloton at this point? Like what we need for the growth of women's cycling is live coverage. It benefits the entire sport. It benefits every single team. It gives money to hopefully if done properly, we it gives money to every single team across the board, which means the women on every team get paid better, which means that they can focus more, which means like it's like a cascade effect right and we've been pretty clear i feel like we when we talked about this last year after omloop had newsblad and the great prize money debate of omloop had newsblad that the the prize money only goes to the top three percent five percent anyway and that top five percent is already getting paid a living wage so the riders who actually need that kind of money aren't even getting near it and that kind of money could be put to better use, like start to finish live coverage, well done live coverage of each stage, which would benefit the sport as a whole. So while I'm like, awesome, I'm super glad you're doing this prize money. I feel like the whole concept of prize money doesn't really make a ton of sense anymore with minimum wage rising. Well, I think it's performative, isn't it? A lot of the time, prize money, mm. big fanfare about equal prize money. It's a performative way of, it's like a nod towards equality that requires very little effort, really. And make, yeah, I think, like you say, what makes an actual difference is being able to watch the race. And the women's store could have taken their prize money last year and put it towards... <sighs> I don't know, live coverage of the the key stages or something like that. Like it, it probably wouldn't have been enough to show the entire six days, but 30 minutes of each stage, I don't know. But but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like prize money was a big deal when riders weren't getting paid and when cycling first started. But at this stage in cycling, it doesn't make sense in the men's peloton and it doesn't make sense in the women's peloton, especially when there's a race that doesn't have adequate live coverage. 
I'd like to see if they can't put that money towards coverage, then put it towards the equal opportunity to be at the race, which is like start money or, um, you know, money towards logistics to get to the race. There's a lot of teams that struggle with those costs as well of how much it costs to bring a team to a race in the first place. Yeah, my uh, partner in crime at my newsletter, Tilda, wrote a really good piece this week about um, mountain biking and how it can road could learn a lot from how equal it is. But one of the really good points that she made in that piece was that regardless of how many participants there are or how many, or like the perceived level, everybody gets equal coverage. And I think, yeah, that is, pre- that is pretty much the biggest thing that road could learn is that like the amount of coverage shown of a race should have nothing to do with how many riders there are in it or like how fast it is or how far it is or any of that. It should just be equal across the board. And I've really badly paraphrased that. But yeah, there were a lot of good points in there about the way that men's and women's um, events are treated. And yeah, Rhodes just got a long way to go when it comes to that, as we know. But yeah, equal coverage is like the most most important thing and raising the minimum wage for the continental teams or introducing a pro conti level in between or whatever pro team they're called now i think in between the two levels so that there can be more stepping stones and so there's not this really massively growing prize gap prize gap um, salary gap between the top teams and and all the other teams that compete in the same races but like are probably the girls are probably making 5k a year 8k a year the cost of getting to a race gracie just mentioned the cost of getting to a race and we've kind of we're kind of already seeing the negative side effects of the tour de france effect um we obviously had a bunch of teams join the women's world tour this year and uh i've been very critical of a couple of them but for good reason and we saw that this week in that Kogas, the Edelweiss, Co- uh, Roland Edelweiss, no, Roland Kogas Edelweiss squad <laughs> uh, didn't go to Drenta, Ronda Van Drenta, because they couldn't afford to go back and forth from Italy, from Strada Bianchi to the Netherlands, and then back for Trofeo Alfredo Binda, which for a non-world tour team is totally understandable, but for a world tour team is pretty unacceptable, in my opinion. Uh, in the same, in the same vein, the human powered health team is skipping the Girodonna. Which again, yeah. But then this is the thing with that one is that, and what I was going to add to the, when we were talking about the prize money before is that what the guy also said from the Girodonna was that they're looking at a different calendar slot because there's, I don't know how many stage races in like two months, a space of like two months. And this is the kind of depth thing that we always talk about where there's the Tour de France fan and the Giro Dono within a couple of weeks of each other. And if teams don't have the depth to field, like pretty much, obviously some would go to both, but like pretty much two different teams for each race, which they definitely don't. So like you say, it's the Tour de France fan effect because people are choosing to send their riders to that instead of 
Giordana and yeah, but they're both world tour, so they're world tour teams. We should be turning up to the world tour races. Yeah, if it was I mean, a, like, if it was a pro team, or, they don't we don't have pro teams. So if it's a continental team, it would be like yeah, of course, of course you don't have the resources to be able to do that. But you'd assume that a world tour team would go into the season with the resources to be able to go to all the world tour events. And on the men's side, it's mandatory. And I feel like if if a women's team is going to be world tour, they and not be able to go to the world tour, all the world tour races, especially this early in the season. It's kind of like a really bad look. There's a few teams that are very obviously bought world tour licenses solely to get into the Tour de France. Yeah. And two of them have just made themselves known. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the person in charge of looking at the budgets of women's world tour teams was also the person in charge of looking at the jersey approvals. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but sort of feels like. <laughs> no, I think you might be right. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Maybe they were drunk. What? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just pretty disappointing. And, and part of it is like, Amy's right. Part of it is the calendar and the way that the calendar is broken up. And I'm curious, like, what if the Giro was to move its slot closer to the men's Giro and Mm. be earlier in the season? That would also completely change how a lot of the riders approach the classics, which would be super interesting. I mean, it could it could really change bike racing if they changed it like that. But but we do have just this super weird breakup of races with all of these one days in the beginning and then all of the stage races back to back to back to back, which Mm. obviously stage races are a little bit more demanding than the one day races in the long term. So for a rider to there are definitely riders (coughs) on a meek who are going to do the Tour de France and the Giro double and um, make it look easy. But it's it's not <laughs> it's not easy i thought i saw Anamique saying that the jira needed to step up its game and she might not do it or did i did all... say that i'm pretty sure yeah. i didn't see that yeah but i mean human ha- powered health like they also started strata with only four riders and um yeah they clip they just don't have the team yeah roland kogas metler or not even metler that it's too many names it's too many names uh only had I think one rider finished Strata. So we haven't seen a Kofidis race much either yet, have we? No. No, we have not. They raced um Setmana Valenciana. But uh but no, we haven't seen a ton of them. But they're not world tour, so they Yeah, they're not world tour. They quietly did not did not apply for a world tour license because you'd assume that they the way mm. the UCI is handing out licenses that they probably would have got it. Well so my losing it or did drop sorry Nicole Wahoo usually get invites to the Giro or not do they not I don't know so I was surprised to see them left out like you've got some of those teams I was like "Hmm, why them because again like I think Nicole Wahoo's sitting that sorry I feel like I plug them like every week but it's just because um I feel like they sit in that category of like a team that would be a pro team if that was a if there was that second tier and I was, I don't know, I was just intrigued that they weren't invited because they've got some really talented riders that probably could do really well. I was going to say they usually stack it with Italian teams. <laughs> yeah. mm. Anyway, um, 
on a happier note, Zwift announced that they're sponsoring Perry Roubaix for the next four years. So we already have gone into great detail about how great Zwift is for women's racing. And uh, they really put their money where their mouth is with sponsoring of the Tour de France Femme of Zwift. And now they're adding Perry Roubaix to that. So pretty great. I wonder if it'll change the live coverage that we that we will see for Perry Roubaix. I hope so. Please. Like, don't just start showing it after the action has already kicked off. And yeah, if somehow. there's a race we really need to see from start to finish, it's Perry Roubaix. <laughs> and Story Bianchi, but don't cut your chickens. Well, that's not the correct use of that phrase, but yeah. Was it? I don't and know. Flanders. There's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope, though, that Zwift would put their foot down on that one and say, You would we hope. Need to show more. Yeah. I don't know how much. Uh, say they actually had in the amount of live coverage for the Tour de France fam of X Swift that they um, that they signed up for. Uh, I know that they didn't have really any say in the courses or anything, but I mean, if they're putting putting money forwards and then hopefully they can be like, look, we're giving you this money. We would really like to see start to finish live coverage. Uh, mm-hmm. The final piece of news that came out over the week was that there's a new four stage uh, women's race in the Pyrenees. It's like a week after the Tour de France Femme of Zwift and is not a world tour race, um, but is a is a 2.1. So hopefully that means that a lot of the smaller teams will be able to really shine at that race because at that point, the world tour teams are going to be exhausted. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good news. So- sounds like a, like, a mini Ardèche, mm. potentially. All right, wrapping up the episode, the the some of the biggest news that kind of um, was spreading over the week had to do with uh, the New Zealand national champion Olivia Ray. And while we are aware of the situation, we don't know any we don't know enough details to talk about it. So we're going to hold off talking about it until there's any conclusive decision about whether or not doping is involved. And, um, as for the abuse situation, I mean, it's heartbreaking. The, the transcripts from the court case were really devastating. And, uh, I think I speak for everyone here when I say that we just hope that she's safe wherever she is. We know that this is happening. We're opting not to talk about it. It is a very sensitive conversation that, uh, is very personal for a lot of people. And so for that reason, we're going to, uh, wait until there's more information. So coming up this week, we've got Trofeo Alfredo Binda. (laughs) So we'll be back next week to talk about Binda last year. It was one of the best races of the year. Uh, one solo by Lisa Longaborghini with just like incredible, incredible teamwork by Trek Segafredo. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week to break it down for you and also talk about Nokor Corsa that's happening on Wednesday in Belgium. Thanks everybody so much for listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm.